Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for having me with you this morning. I bring the whole family with me. So we only live just down uh, in South Manchester on the Merseybank estate, which is sort of between Chalton and Didsbury. Not many people know where it is, but it's on the bank of the Mersey. So I've brought my husband, I've brought Gideon, Caleb and Judas. I'll be populating your kids group a little bit this morning. But um, my role really is uh, to head up something called the Eden Network. And what we do is we have been uh, on the cutting edge, really, of mission into urban estates, communities, where life is really tough. Um, I actually, uh, 15 or so years ago, uh, received a prophetic word just as we were about to get married, saying that we would do five to seven years of zigzagging, and then we'd find the community of our calling. And at the time, we'd just started getting involved in short-term missions. We'd been to Kenya, we'd been to Zambia, we'd been here and there. And we were thinking that was going to be our final destination. In fact, uh, we know Becky and Mike, who um, you'll be, you've been supporting and loving for a long time, because we were in Kenya with them, and we thought that was going to be the community of our calling. And actually, when we were there, we, held, we felt like God really strongly told us to come back to Manchester. Uh, and at that point, we discovered uh, a call to the Eden work, a call to live on this little council estate where we've been for the last 12 years, and a call really to do... Um, what we feel like Jesus did when he came to earth in, in scriptures in John 1 14, it said the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that's what we did. So we've moved into a neighborhood. We're part of the community. We've done some church planting. We've seen people come to faith. We've seen all sorts of joys and a whole heap of challenges, uh, which I can talk to you a little bit about later. Um, but we are so passionate about our tough urban communities. We've launched over almost eight teams over the past 25 years, people who see it as their mission to literally love their neighbors and to literally see transformation in the communities where there aren't many churches, nobody really wants to move in, everyone wants to get out, and actually there's such an opportunity to bring hope in some hopeless places. So we're part of the Message Trust, which you will have heard of, I'm sure, being so close uh, to Manchester, led by Andy Hawthorne, really passionate about seeing the gospel working uh, in some of the hardest to reach places. If you want to find out more about that, if you want to pray for us, if you feel led to give to us, if you want to join us, then please come and see me afterwards. I'll be in the little coffee area with some leaflets. I'd love to chat to you and really appreciate being with you today. Thanks so much. I can't really sing that song without um, thinking about my neighbour, Bernie. She loved that song. It was her favourite. You know, you're not really supposed to have favourites, are you, with worship songs? Well, maybe you are, I don't know. But um, I first met Bernie when um, she turned up to our church gathering and she kind of came in really late and she just popped her head in and she said, I just want to say thank you for the hamper uh, that you gave her. She'd been given a, a Christmas hamper and uh, it was a massive deal for her to get out of her house. She was agoraphobic. She didn't really have much of a relationship with anybody other than her daughter. Uh, and little by little, through an invitation to come back to church and to eat with us, we had a meal with every service uh, that we, we ran on our little estate. She, start, she started to come to life and she started to, 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 to grow uh, as a person. She grew in relationships with others. She grew in faith. And actually, she loved to sing that song. She'd grown up in a very strict 
family where religion was something that made her mainly just feel shame and, and guilt. Uh, but actually, uh, through kind of getting to know Jesus for herself, she realised he was a good father, and she used to belt that song out. And sadly, she died a few years back, and we were able to do her funeral. And her sisters, she was one of a big Catholic family, her sisters all came to us separately and said, she came alive when she met Jesus. It, it made her a different person. Physically, she changed. It was incredible. Anyway, that was not what I was going to tell you about this morning. But when we sang that song, I just wanted to encourage you. Like, God changes people's lives. And he sets the lonely in families. And he transforms, doesn't he? That's the business that he's in. Uh, today, I want to talk to you a little bit about participation. It's a word that's been on my heart. And it's something that I'm kind of digging around with and thinking about at the moment. Um, In the last probably six months, I have uh, taken on a new role in life, and that is of a football mum. And um, don't know if any of you out there can relate. Yesterday morning, 8.15, all five of us in the car, two of them kitted out in much football gear. Uh, We drive them there, we watch them play, we cheer them on, we take them home, uh, and repeat, repeat, repeat every weekend. And uh, the parents are funny when it comes to uh, watching the kids play football. They shout and they cheer and they try and coach, even though there's big signs saying, parents don't coach. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I get quite invested, actually, in how these kids are doing in their teams. And I'm, it's much more interesting, I think, than watching the big teams, although my kids also like the big teams and we watch a lot of football that is, you know, on TV as well. So football is basically... Uh, just infiltrated my life. And I think that's probably how it's going to be for a long time, but there you go. Um, And often I think our Christian lives can be a little bit like the game of football. What I mean is there's a bunch of people who are on the pitch, who are working hard, who are running around, getting sweaty, getting muddy, tackling, kicking, trying to score goals. And there's a bunch of us who are spectating. And maybe we're like actively spectating. We're cheering them on, we're encouraging them, we're getting them there, we're making sure they've got everything to play a good game. But we're spectating all the same. We're not actually playing the game. And when we read the scriptures, and I'm going to read a really well-known scripture to you uh, in a moment. Oh, here's a picture of football just to illustrate. Um, The scriptures don't actually really refer to the Christian life as a team sport. The Christian life is actually referred to in the scriptures as a race, as a running race. You'll hear a number of different um, uh, reflections and references to the race that we are running as individuals. And I don't know whether you... uh, really love that idea of being in a race or whether you think, oh my goodness, how on earth can I ever <laughs> race? You know, I've, I've started taking up running through lockdown, mainly for my sanity. Uh, it was a worthy way of, and a legitimate way of getting out the house uh, and leaving Steve with the three boys. Well, there was only two boys in lockdown, now there's three. Um, but uh, running was my, 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 my wonderful mental space, uh, yeah, well-being thing. And, uh, but the, the idea of this life is a race and it's not a competitive race. It's not like we're, we're up against, you know, Linford Christie or Mo Farah. Like it's not like we're looking at people going, I have to go as far as them, but it's a race in which we're all called to finish. 
It's a race in which we're called to complete. It's a race that each of us has got a specific lane in front of us to move down uh, and to stay in active movement towards the day when we meet Jesus and we get to this uh, this scene that we're going to read about in Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible, um, pick it up, have a look at it, um, and it'll also be on the screen. We're going to read from Hebrews 12. Uh, verses 1 to 3, very familiar verses, uh, but also great, isn't it, to dig back into what we know in Scripture and remind ourselves. So let me read to you. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I could literally spend a week preaching on like one of these verses, I'm sure. There's so much depth in here, um, and there's so much richness in this scripture, and it talks to every single one of us. And really, it talks about participation, doesn't it? It talks about actively getting involved. Are we actively involved in the Christian life? Anthony Reddy, a professor at Oxford University, made this statement. He said, churches in Europe are facing a major existential crisis, some even fearing for their very existence. This is evidenced by falling numbers in the congregations of their respective churches, diminishing human resources with a shortage of willing people to participate in God's mission via the church. And this is the bit that, that got me, this last sentence. He says, when people do participate, it is as volunteers and not disciples. That is, people often do what fits their free time and not what their faith demands. I don't know whether that strikes you as true. And, I, you know, it's contentious, isn't it, getting into the growth or the decline of the church in the West. Uh, and we could, again, spend weeks debating that. But there is something, I think, that he touches on there about our tendency to go for what is convenient in the Christian life as opposed to what is costly We sing this hymn every Easter time, and sometimes we sing it at other times as well. And it says to us, we're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're a tribute far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We sing that, don't we? But do we actually spend time thinking about what that means? What does it mean to give our all to Jesus? What does our faith actually demand of us? Does our faith demand us giving, you know, lip service to Jesus, a minimum amount of time that's convenient? And I'm, please don't hear me as like laying guilt, like each and every one of us has got um, millions of things in life, competing stuff. But we've also, at some point, I'm assuming because you're in this room, also said to Jesus, you can have my life. I want to follow you. I'll do whatever it takes. And yet sometimes what we've said and how we live can, can go in slightly different directions. And I guess what I'd love to just do with us this morning is try and realign who we believe Jesus to be and how we want our life to look in the context of this race that we need to keep running and persevering in in front of us. 
And really, I want us to look at four things that we can participate in, kind of drawing from this scripture of Hebrews, but also drawing from some other reflection as well. Some areas where we can get more involved, where we can realign what our faith demands of us and what we are able to give and what we are able to experience. So the first thing that I think we can participate in as Christians is the love of God. And let me be really honest with you guys. This is probably the hardest one for me. I know that God loves me. I'm sure we all do. I know it in my head. At times I've felt it extremely uh, tangibly. Uh, but my general experience is not a kind of tangible overwhelm of God's love on a, on a, on a weekly or even daily basis. Because I'm, I'm often busy or I'm not prioritizing time with him or, or I just assume that I've had enough. Like so much of us have that sense, don't we, where we say, you know, God, I know you're there if I need you. So I'll come to you if I need you, but I'm actually probably fine right now. Or I've, I've had enough love. Like you've given me enough love. Like there's plenty of people over there who need more love than I do. Or there's people over there who've got greater needs than I have. But God actually isn't, um, Uh, isn't holding back his love for many of us. It's not like he's got a shortage and therefore he, you know, we need to be redeploying his love elsewhere because we're not, you know, needing of so much. He's actually got an abundance of love for each and every one of us, more than we can imagine, more than we can get our heads around. He loves us individually in spite of all of our flaws and hang-ups and, and, and little things that we do that maybe drive ourselves mad or drive the people we live with mad or drive the people who we're closest to. There is no limit on God's love and there's actually no limit in how much we can know his love and experience his love in this life. In John 15 verse 9, it's the passage where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. As Father God loves his Son, Jesus Christ, which is a lot for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son to die. Uh, You know, this is a serious amount of love. So he loves us. If we could get our heads around that first before anything else, that's going to transform how we live. That's going to transform how we persevere in the race. That's going to transform even the things that hinder us and entangle us. Because in his love, he'll say, that's, that's, that's not for you. Let's take that off. That's not for now. Let's get rid of that. That's not cool. Let's stop that, okay, before it takes over more of your life. He gently and lovingly will forgive and restore and, and enable us to keep going. And it talks about abiding in his love. Again, abiding, it it can sound a bit passive, can't it? It can be like, just sit, sit still and stay put. (laughs) That's what I say to my children all the time. Sit still, stay put, stop disappearing. Uh, But they don't listen. Um, But abiding in the love of God is actually, is is an active work because our natural instinct, like children, is to wander off, is to get busy, is to be distracted by something else. Oh, look at this new thing that I really want to do. Oh, look at this. Oh, I'm really busy with here. Oh, this stage of life needs this, X, Y, and Z. But actually abiding, staying plugged into Jesus, staying plugged in to the love that he has for us is an active work of faith and something that I would encourage us to participate in, to keep going with, to join in and to stay involved with. The second thing that we participate in uh, as as Christians in the Christian life is the mission of God or the work of God. Uh, It's said that... um, 
the church of mission. No, I can't remember this phrase very well and I didn't write it down. But basically, God is a missionary God. He is on mission. If you look through the whole of the story of scripture, God is trying his utmost to gather his creation, to restore his creation, and to live in perfect harmony with his creation. And we are in the business of messing that up and making it hard for him. But he loves people. He's on a rescue mission. I know that there are many, many people in this community who really need Jesus. As much as there are many, many people in my community who really need Jesus, And maybe in my community, sometimes it's a little bit more obvious because they're exhibiting public behaviors and actions that we look at them and we go, oh yeah, their life is totally chaos or their life really needs Jesus. But whether it's obvious or not, whether we are exhibiting publicly obvious behaviors or whether we're just dying inside in silence, God is in the business of calling to us and wanting to restore us and and ultimately calling us to a new life in him. A a complete transformation in our lives. We participate in the work of God. In my life, that is literally loving my neighbor. And it's not as easy as it sounds. It's a wonderful thing to to say, isn't it? I love my neighbors. You know, we have these things, love your neighbor weeks that we do when we go and do gardening and and, and transform people's gardens and share the gospel. But they're they're hard work. And not everyone's actually that, like, grateful. And then suddenly you start to think, well, if you're not grateful and I've just spent an hour doing your garden, then what's the point? But... (laughs) loving your neighbors comes with challenges as I'm sure you know but the but we are the how of God's mission for some crazy reason he decided that he vested authority in humanity that he wants to use us to be his hands and his feet he wants to use us to reach our neighbors literal neighbors next door neighbors people down the street around the corner our neighbors those in this wider community, our neighbors, those in our nation, our neighbors on a global context. He wants to use us. We are the how of God's mission, how he gets it done, whether that's here or somewhere else. And in our church, um, I'm part of Ivy Church in Didsbury, we often talk about being in a lifeboat. And, and our mission is really that we are at sea, along with everybody else, but we've got safety and security in Jesus. And so we're just helping people find that, rescuing them. And there's a bunch of people who are just having a great time on a cruise liner, but there's a storm and they need help. And so we're out there to do it. Maybe it sounds a bit grandiose, but, but, but the point is God is on mission and we are the how of that mission. If we participate in that, stuff starts to change Bernie got a hamper. I really don't like giving out hampers. I think it's a bit naff. But actually, it transformed her life. She loved that, that, that invitation, which led to a relationship, which led to complete transformation. So if you can get involved in mission, whatever that looks like, it's not something for the specialists. It's something for all of us in our individual race. Next point. This is the one that everyone doesn't like. I don't like it, to be honest. But Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. When we participate with God, when we participate in the life of being a Christian, when we're actively engaged with our faith, when we're running our race, the reality is it's not going to be plain sailing. And often one of the worst things that we do when we are telling people about our faith, when we're encouraging people to explore Jesus, is to say things like, 
Everything's going to be great when you're a Christian. Come to Jesus and he's going to sort out all your problems. From this point onwards, no worries. And, and we, we like to say that, don't we? Because in a sense, there is some eternal truth there. Let's not, let's not um, overlook the fact that life with Jesus is infinitely better than life without him. However, there still comes suffering. There still comes pain. There's still some really, really big questions that I don't have answers to. I don't know why my kid's granny died when she was 62 and she was, you know, she was ready to retire and look after these kids and be the best granny ever. I don't know why that happened and I'm still pretty cross about it. But you know what? Jesus understands suffering. He has suffered. And because I know that I've got a God I can go to with my big questions, with my big crying fits, with my real anger, and if you, if you want some resources for that, just look at the Psalms, by the way. Read the Psalms, because there, there's a bunch of people being brutally honest with God and saying, you let me down. I was faithful to you. You promised, and I've not seen your promises. But suffering, suffering's a reality. Suffering isn't something we can dodge. Suffering isn't something that we can plan against as much as we might try to live a life of safety and security and comfort. It is inevitable. And in our suffering actually comes an opportunity that we would never have without it to meet Jesus in a new way and to know, and to know stuff of his heart that we would never experience otherwise. There is a unique work that God can do in suffering that he can't do when we're living a happy life and when things are going really well. And most of us would say, we're not interested, we don't want it. But on the other side, (laughs) you can say, uh, sorry, there's a small person that belongs to me who's just about to break in. Uh, Most of us can say, um, actually, I appreciate what God did in that season. And it takes a bit of time probably to get through the season to see the appreciation. And if you're in the middle of it, then get your church praying for you. Get people alongside you. Get railing and ranting at God if you need to because he's big enough to take it. But know that suffering shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be something that that only happens to the hardcore. It happens to all of us. And it's tough. But if we look at this verse in Hebrews, it said, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. The most extreme suffering. And yet he saw it in the context of joy. Like that's... That's incredible and baffling, isn't it? How do we get our heads around that? We'd have to spend a long time. I've put some things in your Bible study notes for you, small groups in the week to dig into it. Uh, It might take longer than an evening. Finally, joy. I've just mentioned joy. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We are invited into joy. Yes, suffering is a reality. Yes, when we, when we get engaged with Jesus, when we get involved in the Christian life, we're going to come up against stuff that's tough. But there is joy. And actually, you can, um, in this, in this Hebrews passage, there's a crowd of witnesses who are welcoming us home. That's what the picture is. It's like coming in on the final straights. They're cheering. Come on, you can do it. You've done such a good job. And there's that, that uh, verse in Matthew 25, 23, which I'm sure many of you will have heard applied to our final coming into heaven moment, uh, where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. 
there is going to be all joy the moment that we're reunited with Jesus, the moment that we get to heaven. And there is some joy in this life. It's not all joy, let's be honest, but there will be all joy. And if we can see our lives in that context of eternity, if we can frame the race, and even if we're feeling exhausted and 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 suffering and and, and disillusioned, if we can just step back and say, this is a short time. This is a short season. I don't know if any of you have ever read the Narnia books. We're trying to read them with our kids. And the, the last couple of pages of the last book, uh, when the, the, the children step basically into heaven, it's a new creation. It says something along the lines of, all their lives this far had thus been the title, uh, and the, the chapter and the title uh, pages. And now they were going to enter into the story that went on and on and on forevermore. This life is a very short chapter of eternity. This existence, uh, this race that we're running will end. It does have a destination if we can just keep going. So let me conclude. My encouragement to you guys today as you read this scripture is to cast off that stuff that's going to slow you down, is to get rid of the sin that entangles, is to fix your eyes on Jesus and the love that he has for you, is to get engaged in the mission, the lane that he has set in front of you. Not everyone is called to go out somewhere far flung. Not everybody is called to pray for two hours every morning before they do anything else. But all of you are called to something. All of you are made for his service. And all of you, as you... uh, At some point in life, whether it was a a big old moment or whether it's been a gradual journey, you said to Jesus, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And so I'm not wanting to heap pressure on you, but I'm just wanting to remind you that you're part of something incredible here. The church on earth has got such a witness. It's got such a privilege. And and as you um, step into service, as you step into participation, you'll find him more and more. Just as we were singing at the end, um, I really felt as well just to share um, that it's not as a Christian about having an orphan heart or an orphan spirit, but actually we're part of a family. We may each be running an individual race and there is something about us going for something as a, as a personal commitment, but actually we are running alongside one another. And in this season, you guys are running alongside each other. You're part of a family, the body of Christ. So don't have an orphan spirit. Don't feel like this doesn't fit me. This isn't for me. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm, you know, don't, don't disqualify yourself from being part of this family where you have got a bunch of people ready to love you and pray for you and accept you and challenge you for sure and cheer you on and encourage you. So Christianity is not a nice hobby. It's not a team sport. It is a race and we need to persevere until we reach pure joy in him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and I thank you that that you are so much more than we can even uh, imagine, that we can even comprehend. But Lord, I pray as I've spoken out a bunch of words uh, that 
that they would land in the places that they need to land. I pray for all uh, the hearts and the minds of of the folk here and those who are are listening uh, online, Jesus, that they would hear something of you that would encourage or challenge them, that would motivate them, that would inspire them to participate in a greater way with you in this life and in the next. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.